Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Jesus and Paula show. Uh, because, hey, it's the Jesus and Paula show starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. And if you have watched us before, you know there is nothing quite like that dynamic duo. <laughs> so, truly, we all strive, and we should strive to be uh, close to the Lord in that capacity, at least if he allows us to get that close. But before we jump into today's opening want to take you to two commercial spots, very short. One is about the Congregation of the Mighty Ecclesial Embassy, how you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time for church, 8 a.m. Sunday school, and also a quick update and, and promo, I should say, for the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. We'll be right back in two minutes or less. up if worship gets really hot because it typically does Uh, dr price if she starts prophesying a word that we know let's send this out over the airwaves right now we might go live then might but other than that the trainings are for those who pay the price to come here not just the registration fee but the plane tickets the gas mileage on the cars the hotel if you don't live in Tulsa and everything else so in that offering the and the food you have to pay for Dr. Price has taught us, you know, there's a lot more to coming to a conference than just paying the registration and to allow people to just buy the whole thing for the same cost later that you paid to get it live and to uproot your life, take days off of work, vacation time, pay time off, not pay time off, whatever, there's an imbalance there in justice and in righteousness. And so we don't offer everything after the event, although there will be some sessions that will be made available for sale, but it's not going to be much. You have to enroll in Price University to get the best of some of those as well later. Look, the students are like, that's it, because see, we're up late doing homework, we're sweating it out, we have found a new level of intercession in God, trying to get through the corset, right? (laughs) It's the truth anyhow. And and so we want to let you know that you need to press your way to be here. This is a time where last year a lot of people were on the Scared Straight program because things happen in the world that did not happen before. But see, the thing about pressure easing up off of your neck and things going back to normal or whatever normal looks like means that that (laughs) – that listen, there's some off-camera things happening right now. I'm back in my serious flow – means that uh, when the pressure is off, a lot of times you relax. Like last year, there was a lot of, I have to get right, I have to be, I have to do whatever. Now that, depending on where you live, okay, mandates are lifted and, and things, especially here in Oklahoma, okay, I'm like going in the stores, I see everybody's face is wonderful. How you doing? There's somebody who's been serving me for like nine months, I can finally see your whole face. Don't even recognize you without your mask on. 
And they're like, hi, how are you? And I'm like, do I know you? Oh, sorry, my bad. All right. And so uh, we, I don't want us to become comfortable and begin to relax back into a posture that got us in the mess that we're in now, which is, oh, whew, that's over. Back to normal, whatever that is, back to my life, back to my routine, and yeah, next year, yeah, yeah, next year. I mean, some people thought they wouldn't see this year. True or not. Bought into the propaganda, didn't, got really sick, didn't, whatever, and thought, oh, no. And now that, oh, that's lifted, and okay, I can do this and do that. So don't allow that to happen, and don't allow yourself to become a part of that flow and that pull. All right, so you want to make sure that you are pushing forward and plowing forward in what God has called you to do. Also joining us at the Congregation of the Mighty in our new location, we had somebody stop by yesterday, and the the main drag that our street is on is like their street. That's their pathway that they go to work and home and whatnot. And so they drove by, and they realized this was Dr. Price's new spot. And she came in yesterday off the street. She was like, what? This is where you are. This is my street. I've been driving by here. She was in Bixby not too long ago. Was like, I'm going to go to Dr. Price's church, and we weren't there. And you know, whenever you're in a plaza, the sign of you, the sign, your sign, can be in there, marquee forever, because nobody wants to look like they're emptying out. I mean, first of all, it took us an eternity to get that thing in there. And then we had the nerve to leave rather quickly after all that came together. But that's fine. So the sign is still in the marquee. And she said, I did laps around. Like, I know she's in here somewhere. I know she's in here somewhere. I know she's in here somewhere. We, are not, we, are not, we have risen. Yeah. We are not dead. We have risen. Yeah. We are alive yeah. in Christ. Okay? So, so she came in. It was the funniest thing. And she was like, here you are, Safer Midweek Service had a great time. And, uh, and some other people said, we're going to just stop by unannounced, like the Lord. No man will know the day or the hour in which we will pop in. Me and my wife, I said, oh, that's hilarious. You could tell when the favor of God is on something or on you. People can't help but bless what God is doing. Blessings can be just prayers. I, I don't want to say just. They can be prayers. They can be prophecies, decrees, declarations. It can be finances. It can be resources. Even in pulling together the upgrades that we need in new ex- executive 14-foot conference room tables with chairs Amen. that we ended up not paying a dime for. All right? Bartering and trading is still alive, people. It's still alive. Let me speak on that for just a minute. That's right. I said I wanted to say something. This is a prophetic lesson. I'm all about prophetic lessons. And when you roll with somebody like the chief apostle, whose prophetics are mature, they're seasoned, they're not uh, superficial or shallow to where, I'm trying to focus here, to where you, you know, young prophetics need signs in order for them to feel comfortable in their prophetics. They don't want to say something is God unless there's an inkling or a sign that they're not going to be wrong. That's junior prophetics. That's neophyte. I'm going to say neophyte prophetics. That's novice prophetics, where that's beginner baby prophetics, where you're like, 
Oh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I had a dream. I thought about it. Well, I was thinking about that, so I guess that's why I had a dream about that prophetically. I was meditating on that, so I guess that's why God was speaking to me about it. That's baby prophetics. But when you get seasoned and mature and you're tried in the fire and you're no uh, spring chicken in your office or your mantle, and that can be a, there's a witness in the room on the stage. And that could be a biological spring chicken, or that can just be how long you've been doing something. And I'm going to say on the professional side, not uh, your pastor recognizes you at five, and you got in front of the church, and you tow it up and praise and worship at seven, and you prophesied to the first person at nine and slayed them in the spirit and all carrying on. No, I'm not talking about that, at, uh, you know, prepubescent demonstration. That's not office execution. Because if you can't do something beyond that moment of demonstration, you are not in the office. You're not. Okay? If God is using your gift, maybe. Because people fall out on hype all the time. They get worked up on hype, the spirit of hype. Sometimes you go in churches and, come on, you got them tuned up with the music. When Dr. Price ministers, the band sits down. You receive. That's why bands are in trouble so much, because they're always playing. And never learning. You're playing, and then you're playing around. And so we do all of our ministers a favor. Sit down in church, take notes, and be changed, because you're here to be changed and transformed. And so when we were moving out of our last location, those of you who have been to the old Price University location know we had all these cubicles that came when we took over the lease, it was a part of the lease. Well, in the move, now listen, we were like, do we have to take them? Because these things are beasts. They're huge. They're tall, six, six feet tall. I, I, I'm making a point here. Now, I am giving your mentorship all the props, all the stars. Okay? She tells me don't start. She's like, don't start. I'm, I'm serious. And so uh, we were like, okay, Dr. Price said we need to take them. She said, I don't know. Um, there's really no place here for us to set them up. The, we talked about configurations. We talked about how. We talked about room. I mean, you know, you try and work it out because you know when God drops something like that in your lap, you do not want to abandon it because of convenience. Come on, come on. It was mighty convenient to leave them there. <laughs> Financially and the movers. Man, it took a whole day to break those things out and move them. And so, but move them, we did, because when you have a general, uh, you cannot, you do not recommend, you should not get in a place of thinking that because somebody isn't always in your sphere, especially when they sit in that seat, or she is in our sphere, if they're not always in your presence, that they don't know what's going on. It's easy to get very casual. It's easy to actually get very disrespectful when you're dealing with these types of mantles. Uh, that, so I'm like, so Dr. Price can prophesy to a gnat's eyelash in Afghanistan, if they have gnats in Afghanistan, but can't tell us here what's going on here because she wasn't in the room. And see, these are the things that I've seen over the years, a lot of years, of how you begin to pick things apart. And so she said, I don't know. We just, I, I just think we need to take them. I'm like, agreed. You know, there you go. We voted. Let's do it. And so broke it down. I mean, moved those things in. And we knew we have, we knew we would move them here and then move them to storage, but we just had to get everything here first. And we're like, the movers are like, man, okay, we're ready to move back. Just tell us when we'll prepare ourselves. 
whole process almost, to, to ready it. They've been sitting down there. We're about next week. We're moving all of this extra stuff that we don't have room for here into a storage unit next week. We just mapped it out. We're going to do it probably Monday or Tuesday, the whole thing. And we have a gentleman who is with us now who finds everything on Facebook Marketplace. I mean, beautiful desk. Where do we get the sink? I mean, there's all this beautiful, ornate things people are selling in excellent condition. And so Dr. Price throws it at him, listen, I need an executive board uh, room table. And uh, because it's a room that we're going to rent out and use in the facility for people, like hotels all have executive boardrooms that they rent out and things like that, as well as a lot of these event centers. And so uh, he worked it out. He said it's going to be delivered tomorrow. Beautiful 14-foot table, 12 chairs. I mean, it's an amazing deal. The price is phenomenal for it. And the gentleman says he's looking for cubicles and is willing to barter and trade. And we're like, well, we got some cubicles. <laughs> and so I said, let me run it past Dr. Price. And she's like, if the man wants to barter and trade, come on, barter, trade them all out to get this, make this, the exactly the amount he needed. And so we had an even trade, did not have to exchange one dime for a set that's worth at least $5,000, at least. Because of prophetic obedience. Had she not said what she said and we not obeyed the word, right now, that man would have said cubicles and we would have been like, oh, man. That's the worst feeling in the world when you realize you did it. God was setting you up and all you had to go through was a season of inconvenience to be off the hook somewhere else later. And I said, this is a lesson in the prophetic if ever I have seen one. Because it's easy to say, whoa, it's a good thing we had those, huh? Yeah, yay, God. But not trace back how you got there. And I'm going to say to a lot of you out there, I'll say to myself here, to the people in the room on the front and the back, that there are things that God is pushing you to do that are not convenient. They're not comfortable. When I tell you to these guys who broke this thing down, I mean, a day and a half to break it down because they thought, and we all thought, it just came to apart at the hinges like most of them do. No, 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 no. I mean, there were more screws, nuts, and bolts. There was a whole bat that he said, I have never in my life, which is what we hear so Never in my life seen cubicles as complicated. We have put them apart. We put them together so many times. We have never seen and obviously, they were getting paid. They moved them, and it just threw the whole moving timeline up. I mean, it was a very interesting thing to get them out and then get them in. But look at why. And a lot of times, we want to use the harshness of the process to validate why something isn't God. That can't be God because that can't Or my favorite line, how many of us have said, but the last time I... I didn't have to do this the last time, but then you're like, well, maybe you actually should have done this the last time, and you didn't, which is why you're here again. Not again, again. We're going to be British again. <laughs> why you are here again in your life? Because you actually didn't pay the full price. You didn't do the whole obedience the last time. And see, we like to skate by on partial obedience with the Lord. Well, I mean, it's enough to get me in the door, but actually not through the whole opportunity. 
We don't do hope. And when you go back and actually read your journals and re-listen to prophecy, you can find out, I sure changed that word, didn't I? Wow. Or I jumped on the part that bore witness with me. Amen, which is usually the end. And I will establish you as, yes, Lord. And you go out in the spirit, boom. And everything else that he said about getting you there ran right over your oil slick forehead. <laughs> Whoosh. The part about, I'm going to sit you down for a while, gone. The part about every outstanding debt you have has to be paid first. See that piece? You didn't hear. You get up off of the floor, you find yourself, put yourself back, get right, Johnny. You find yourself, put yourself back. She was on that floor yesterday, okay, or Tuesday night. I'm telling all your business. She was. But she looked better for it. <laughs> See? And so you get up off of the floor, and you know what you say? Hallelujah, God called me to the nation. <laughs> and that's all you say. And you choose to remember. That's all you choose to remember is the finish line, the punchline of the joke, the last five minutes of the movie. Anybody go to the last five minutes of the movie to see if it's worth your time to watch the other hour and a half? I do. <laughs> when I suspect that something is going to waste my time, I have to see. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, I'm right. I'm like, see, I knew this was going to be a dumb ending that was going to make me mad. Now I do not have to watch this nonsense. And see, this is what we do with the Lord, though. Like, we just want to jump to the end and see if it's going to be worth our time and our press and then make a decision if we should actually do it. That works in watching movies. That does not work in fulfilling destiny. Not even a little bit. Not at all. And we have to shift. So even at the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, where we're going to be teaching on how God starts everything with the prophet, what that looks like in action. You saw in the promo video the different topics being highlighted, recognizing true from false. I mean, can you recognize the true from false in you? People will flip a prophecy in a minute. Well, you, and how do we know? Because people come back and tell us what we said, and that's like, that's not what we said. Yes, it is. Let's go to the recording. Oh, that isn't what you said. It is not. So truth on the inward parts is very important because you will gobble and garble the message in transition, in transit. You know, when you download something and you're watching it, download, download, big, big file, you might as well go cook dinner. (laughs) Slow internet speed, go grocery shopping. By the time you come back, it might be there. And you wait all the time, and then guess what? The file didn't download properly. Is, is that anybody? You just want to remember you know Jesus. No! Especially if it took a long time. And see, a lot of us, we're waiting on that slow download from the Lord, connection all choppy, not connected anywhere God told you to be. Nowhere he told you to be are you connected. Not in person, not in spirit, not in attitude. And so your connection is off. So your download is not going to go down the right way. Your system doesn't have enough space on it. We've talked about that. When your hard drive is too full. And many of us, our soul, our hard drive, the soul drive, ooh, the soul drive, hey. Your soul drive is so full of junk. (laughs) I've worked for a wordsmith for years. It's just my turn (laughs) to create some words. (laughs) Okay. Your soul drive, that thing driving your soul is so full of junk. You haven't defragged in years. You don't want to get delivered. Somebody lays hands on you. You go down and pop up like one of those little punching toys. Boom. I said, I look, and I see folks, there are some people who never go down. Never. And if they do, they can't stay down. 
because he can't let God finish. Don't want the power to take him over. Don't want people to see him laid out. Don't want him to suspect. But the people who really want the most from God, I'm going to stay on this flow until he's finished with me. And so you don't. And so your soul drive is so full that you can't even have a sense of faith in your soul for God's downloads, for his upgrades, for the things that he wants in you. And it, it takes time to clean out a hard drive. You have to sit there. Depending on your system, like Macs, they'll tell you, all right, these are du- this is what I do miss about not working on my Mac laptop. These are duplicated files. This is the thing you have downloaded and then saved somewhere else, and you have like 50 gigs of duplicity. You don't even need. Bye. Get off. Thank you. Woo! Okay. This is media. This is, these are files you haven't used in a long time. Oh, yeah, you're right. Boom. These are things in your download that you haven't done anything with. And when you go through the process and you realize you freed up maybe half of your hard drive from things you no longer need or duplicates of things you don't need duplicates of. Some of us are soul hoarders. We hoard everything in our soul. Just hoard it. Can't let a memory go, good or bad. I don't want to let that memory go because that made me feel good. I don't want to let that memory go because that made me feel mad. <laughs> I don't want to let this go. Can't let go of opportunities. Can't let go of experiences. And so when something new comes your way, everything that you couldn't let go starts cluttering it up. And so whenever we're trying to fulfill destiny and purpose, we have all of these obstacles in the way that are really within our hands to do something about with the Lord with the people that he gave to us. This is why with 3D and what Dr. Price has written, it's the do-it-yourself. That is what she is after, is that we are empowered enough to go back to our prayer closets with the Lord, to go back to our families, uh, to go back into our workplace and have impact on our souls and those around us and not the impact of the devastating kind. Like, you know, we could tell you've been there because there's just fallout all over the place. But we could tell you've been there because there's healing all over the place, because people have been restored, because, because of whatever, because of. And, and as we are going through this process and uh, the Jesus and Paula shows and the books and Price University, you can't ever forget the goal. Is not forgetting everything that God told you or that was laid out before you, because maybe he told you through an assessment, your results are telling you. Well, nobody ever prophesied to me that this was going to be the process. Yes, but your MAQ said it was. It said two years of foundational studies before entering into the beginning phases of training, before you get into the emphasis of your mantleship. So actually, it was prophesied to you that it would take four years for you to get ready to enter into your mantleship. Not four weeks and I pray that I'm ready to get in and you need to get out of my way. See, look, we have, we've rolled back a whole lot on our training process because you know what we've discovered? I can't say we've discovered. What we've confirmed because we already knew it is that it takes the time it takes. And if you have, if you have no educational or foundational experience, I'm talking about academically, in something that you're entering into as old as the office of the apostle and the prophet, then it's going to take a minute, like any career. How long have doctors been around? Right. 
And somebody, you can say, I got a word. God called me to be a doctor. I'm going to be an MD. Wonderful. Or she needs to graduate high school with good grades. Well, you better get good grades. And we start, well, you better get good grades, honey, because everybody knows you cannot be in the medical profession as a C or D student. We don't want you to take care of our bunny rabbits as a C or D student. All right? Not the pets. You, you want your veterinarian to be top-notch as a vet, how much your body. And then undergrad, well, pre-med, you have to get, you need to get the best grades. You better get A's. You better not even try and get B's. You better go for A's if you want to be at the best. And so the more you say you're going to specialize in something, the longer you're in training and the harder it is to get there. I have a friend who's a doctor. He's been a doctor. Uh, he was hired on to be over this and over that in the hospital and decided to go back and specialize in plastic surgery. And so he had to step out of his position to do whatever to take that on. And so we see that in the world. We say we're better in Christ, right? We say it. But we don't actually mean it when it comes to going through the process. Because we're told that somehow the anointing for Christ isn't real. Okay. See, we're talking about we're talking about literature. Yes. We're talking about icon. We're talking about image. We're not talking about a person. Come on, Dr. Price. That's the problem. Most people will say, I believe in God. And I'm like, right. no, you don't, because you don't act like him. You don't speak to learn him. And definitely you criticize everything about him. Mm. Mm. So how much how deep is your belief? Well, since you said that I said it. I'm not sure if this audio is going to show any. How deep is your love? Is a message Dr. Price taught years ago. I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. That's a good one. I'm not sure if it's in there, but um, somebody's going to go check. That is an excellent teaching to download to mm-hmm. explain what she's about to say as well. Yeah. Well, because, you know, one of the things that I have watched over the years is that. I mean, now let me backtrack. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. How did we get here? Yeah. How did we get here as a country? How did we get here as a church? I mean, how did we get here as a people? And certainly as a redeemed people. We don't, you know, we have to backstep and say, but we can say, well, who dropped the ball and whatever. But the big thing is that we untaught the body of Christ, its founder and its savior. We untaught you, you know, and we, we really got you to believe in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and not the resurrection. Ooh, come on. So he's still dead to a whole lot of people. And if you got him up on your wall, you have him on your wall because you believe he's dead. Because you don't really think that Jesus is alive. And if you don't think he's alive, you definitely don't believe that he is involved. You know, and one of the things I'll keep saying, and I, I, when you study the apostles and the prophets and really study the Bible, I mean, we, uh, we haven't taught you the Bible. Why do you have 900 versions of the scripture that's supposed to take us to heaven, that's supposed to t- transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ? Because he's not real. And if he isn't real, then his word isn't real. And, and everybody, well, there's only the word of God. I mean, we can do anything we want to do with it. We can change it to what we want. We can... You know, because he's not real. So now we are really in trouble. Yes. We want to know where the real Jesus is. We are really in trouble. Now all of a sudden you, you got time to read your Bible. Yeah, you know? 
all of a sudden you have time to make it to prayer, maybe. Most of you, I mean, you think about that, the power tools of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Am I saying that? Am I saying it? Yes. The power tools of the Holy Ghost. You think about it. Is it ready? Um, when you think about because I have, I teach a class, the power tools, the number one power tool of the Holy Ghost is faith with works. Yes. But the most potent of all the tools, the omnipotent tool, is prayer. What is it that people blow off? Prayer. You cannot believe God is real and you blow off, blow off prayer. Unless, of course, you serve the crisis Christ. Hmm. I'll serve you, Jesus, when I'm in a crisis. And you all say it. You don't, you, you know, you don't use that phrase. You may not use crises, but you'll say, yeah, well, you know, I'm fine. I'm good. Me and him, you know, it's okay, God. We, we, we got, it's all right. Call you up and meet you. And now we're in crises, and you have no leverage at all with God. Well, he said with two or three are gathered together in my name. Yeah, he did, but you did with two or three. You, I could pray by myself like you have the same leverage with God as the person who serves him 24-7. Come on. You don't even know if God's even hearing you. That's why you're standing there and say, Lord, if you're there. Yeah, that's true. We don't say that. Are you kidding? I'm, if you're there, I'm like, it's a for, if there's air, wind, fire, water, there's God. He's there. Now, we might, God and I have issues because you can't be with God a whole good year and not have an issue. Because God is God. He's himself. And no matter how much you think you got it right, he's himself. So he's always going to want to bring you more into his image and likeness. Always. Now, maybe my thing isn't on. Here's the on button. Do I know where the on button is? Here, fix this for me. But, so you're going to have issues with God, but, but issues with God has to do more with his concern than his conviction. And that's what I want you to keep about. God is concerned about you being with him and him having no reasons to distance himself from you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He didn't say I wouldn't step back. He didn't say that at all. So as we go forward in the Lord and go forward in the things of God, amen. Okay. Why is that super big and crazy? Oh, okay. But as we go forward in the things of God, you need to understand who God is as a person. One of the reasons why you don't pray is because God's not real. Another reason why people don't pray is because you're angry with God because you pray to miss. And he won't answer misses. He's not a near miss prayer answering God. He's not going to do it. He said, you pray. And he said, you have not because you ask not. And then when you do ask, you ask amiss. And then he defines what that is. He said that you may consume it upon your lust. God's like, here's the, here's the 21st century version of that. God's like, there's nothing in it for me. Oh. I'm, I'm getting none, nothing out of it. Yeah. So why would I want to give you just because? You know, and so you, you, we've heard a lot of sermons that say, well, he's a good father, and he gives good gifts, and that's fine. But you cannot take all of these passages and string them together like they're pearls because it serves you. Mm. I mean, people string pearls together according to an order. 
They don't just throw all pearls together, which is why when you get closer to your neck, they're tiny. Unless you have those big ones and, and you wear that for a little bit and you can't wait to get in the bathroom and take that off because your neck is hurt. Yes, that's true. So what you want to do is think about who God is. You can say, I'm sorry, I couldn't make prayer because, but let me tell you something. If you had another family emergency, let's say, let's say somebody died, you'd be there, wouldn't you? Well, I can't miss that, but Jesus is your highest family. Whoa. Okay, my, it's my family's so-and-so anniversary. I got to go. But he's your highest one, and he's the one you want to ask, Lord, get me there safe and sound. I mean, we are so nervous. <laughs> Lord, get me there safe and sound. Get me there and bring me back. You know, and so you don't pray because, number one, he's not real. As far as you're concerned, Jesus is a figment of the religious landscape, one of the many figments of the religious landscape. So that's why you don't pray. You don't pray because you feel like, well, you know, I'm, I'm too busy. Or I asked him for so-and-so, and he said no. Yeah, you asked him to give you a $40,000 car on a $12,000 a year salary, and you're mad. <laughs> But he's God. He can do anything. He certainly can. God can do anything for God in the God realm and in our realm. But can he do anything with you? See, God's possibilities are not about God. They're about where you are. Can he do anything with you? Can he do anything with what you gave him to work with? Because he said the Holy Ghost is the power of Cletos. That means he comes alongside. He doesn't take over. Because if God takes over, you will not have a will. Because for God to take over is for his will to be done and to over, override your will. So God would prefer to have a collaboration, prefer to have some cooperation, co-op, co-operation, op, operation. So he would rather you have that. But God told you, he said, you know, the things that we want God to do make no sense. True. They, they really make no sense. So here we are today in this whole spiritual warfare flesh fight. You know, we're in, we're in the battle for our very lives. Our country is in a battle for its soul. Why? Because it thought that it was okay. It cracks me up that in the 70s and in the 80s, we had this huge battle over censorship. Yes, yes. And the same devil that told us we couldn't censor his filth, is censoring our righteousness. It's the same devil. Because the gullibility of righteousness, the righteousness of gullibility is real. People, I want you to know righteousness is gullible because it only sees one thing, the effect. Well, they'll be upset or oh, my business is, but well, I'm not going to get paid. But here we are. And the people who brought us here are dead. Just like we'll be dead when our kids have to live with this nonsense. The people who brought us here are dead. We only know they did it by their books. And right now, this regime is rewriting the books. So how real was Jesus back then? Where were his thinkers? We were the ones who said that we go down this road or we do this or we do that. Where are we? What are we doing? Well, by now, we've been anesthetized. We're numb. 
We're numb by the sheer shock of it. I think that, you know, right now we can almost ask if the country is in, you know, PTSD. Because we have been pulverized, and pulverized rather. We've been pummeled. And why is that? Because God wasn't real. We said we were, we were Christian, but we weren't Christ. And if you bring Jesus up in a lot of Christian meetings, you get rebuked. Oh, no, it's not about God. No, uh-uh. Right. And so God is like, so I know you think I'm dead, but since I know I'm alive, I don't have to fear you. I don't have to heed you. We, God will listen for when you ask for what he is. But when God gets in this posture, our prayers mean very little. Because in a war zone, prayers become very fragile and very feeble and very, very, um, I want to say very thin, sheer. They're just sheer, the sheer necessity of it all. And that's where we are with God. And you can sit there and say, well, yeah, but I served God for 30 years. Yeah, but he kept you alive for more than that. If you breathe in a man's air, you ought to give him some credit. But instead, you said church was boring, and it probably was, because most churches were boring then and are boring now. You can tell that by listening to Christian television in so many cases. Some of these things, I'm like, what are you saying? You know? Why? It's not, they're doing their best. They're, they're talking to the people who are coming up to their level. But you should be moving on to perfection. We should be w- moving on to where we are at, at, at the round tables, that we are at the tables of the world, contributing God's thought, giving his mind on this. You know, the things that his family is done to, well, you know, I talk scripture all day long. They just don't know it. I, I mean, I don't mention his name. You got to the point that you have been legislated out of talking and mentioning the name of the God you said founded the man. So we have, what we've done now is we've been backed into the proverbial corner. We're backed into the corner where we have to figure out how to know that this is going to change, how to know it's going to get better. Are we going to win? Is it over? Is it too late? If it isn't too late, then how do we know it? How can we shore up our faith? And so we understand prayer is the most potent vehicle we have, but we think of prayer as just a potent vehicle. And, and you're right, but prayer is a lot more than that. I wrote a book years ago, and it seems to still be relevant, Adventures in Prayer. All of, I don't even know if we still have the book. Do we still have it? We have an audio version, and I'll see if I can get the Jersey people to send us the one or two paper version. But Adventures in Prayer, and I wrote the book. The story behind it is amazing. It's in the early 90s that I wrote it, but you realize that God doesn't get old, and he can't be fired. So he's going to be around forever. He's going to be around forever if he has to start over again. If you notice, God does not have a problem squashing something and starting all over again. We don't realize that he does, but he does. You know, I sent y'all, okay, you all are going to be in the wilderness until the generation that gave me a fit dies out. And the new generation is born. And when they get born, they'll do what I want. And when you look at it, he said to Moses when they aggravated him in the wilderness, he said, listen, Get out of my way. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to kill them all. And everybody thinks that that was a mock test for Moses. 
that wasn't a mock test. Many times God has said, you know what? I could take y'all out right now. Right now. And, but he, he, he has what he calls, what Scripture calls his restrainers and his mediators and his interveners. And that is if I could find one righteous person standing in the gap, if I could find ten righteous, Abraham, I will not destroy the land. He couldn't find ten. He found one. That's all. You know, lie. So God, that was not, God doesn't play games. He doesn't play chess. He is chess. So when he says, I changed my mind, he found a reason for his mercy to prevail over his righteousness or his judgment or his anger. He found a reason. I have found, when you look at over and over in Scripture, no time you hear him say that. I have found so-and-so. I found David, son of Jesse. I found a man after my own heart. I found this little group of people, so I'm not going to destroy the land. But I'm going to get rid of my problem. That I'm going to do. We don't think that, but he is. I'm, I'm going to get rid of my issues. But God has to show you. Uh, now, I'm, today I'm just giving you heart, mind, soul, and spirit of the Lord Almighty. So God is a just God. He's hot. He's hot. God is hot the minute, the minute something um, incubates in us. But he's got to wait for us to act it out. He's got to wait for sin to be full grown. What we're feeling right now in our country, and I dare say in the world, is sin has become full grown. Now, when we say sin full grown, we don't really think about, um, or we would call it mature, but we, don't, we think about um, misdeeds. We think about immorality. No, no. The principalities that started at imps, they were imps when they started, when they migrated. The faith, they were, and how did they migrate? People brought them from other countries when they brought their faith and they brought their religions. And we did not have any parameters for them to be American, honor or observe their faith, and not change our government. See, we didn't have that. We, we, we didn't want to do that. Because, hey, we want to prove Christianity works like it's our invention. We want to prove that Christianity is better than all the other religions. And where is Christianity today? So what are they saying? Say, we told you it wasn't better. That's what they're saying today. But I thought, I thought Jesus was the only way. Well, we found another way. We've got three, four, five more. Because we rather, again, I told this last week, and God keeps bringing this to me. I have to find it um, with the uh, the sacrifice of the firstborn. Find that for me. But we keep thinking that Christianity is our invention, that it's our commodity, that we are the literal, we are the marketplace, we are the um, uh, highway to Christianity. We created it. We paved it ourselves. We did it. We did it. And so part of the problems that we're having right now is that our experiment failed. Our experiment in righteousness, our experiment in liberty, free will, and, and, and what we would like to call um, uh, ecumenicism, we, it failed. And we don't want to admit that because we have too much tied into it. But it failed. It failed, and it failed miserably. Why? Because God is not the God that is founded this land is not the God that we served 
or the God that we emulated or the God that we propagated. He got mixed up with a whole lot of things. I mean, we, we've taken him and put him in the pantheons of the world, of the same spirits that he took down. And our job is we love saying, well, God won't allow this. I don't know why you think God won't allow it when he said he gave the earth into the hands of the children of men. He said, if you seek me, you will find me. But what's the flip side of that? No seek, no find. Uh, in other words, he's not going to intrude in what he's already established as an order, as a sphere of life. He's not going to intrude and, uh, except for two reasons. Well, three, if you ask for prayer, if you bet mercy, God will always ask for his mercy, but he decides what that action will be. And the mercies he will release. He said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I choose where my sentiment, my emotion called mercy goes. I choose it. You don't choose it. Now, you all decide to have mercy on each other in my name, and I'll let that happen, but you can't tell me to be merciful to your kid who just shot up something. You don't have a right to tell me that. You need to be repenting to me for your kid so that I have a reason to have mercy. So that's one thing. The next thing is if, if it's God's predestination, his predetermination, God will always act for his purposes and his will. He, whether it fits you, whether it doesn't fit you, whether you agree, approve, he doesn't care. Because if, if he can't work with you as a collaborator with the Holy Ghost being the collaborator, if he can't work with you under those conditions, then God's just going to allow you to go through the flows of business as usual on planet Earth. Come what may, take what come. And then, like he said to Job, yeah, but don't, don't take his life. Okay, well, you can do this, but don't harm his person. But then you can do that and don't take his life. Why? Because I got use for that life when you finish, when he's finished being tried as as pure gold, so he can come forth. Because right. right now, I'm giving you clay. I'm giving you clay, and I'm trusting you, Satan, to turn my clay into gold. Because he said, when I've been tried a while, he said, I will come forth as pure gold. Who in the world gets gold out of dirt? But the Lord. Because he said, I can renew the flesh. The flesh is not my issue. But the soul is. His soul in relation to the God that he served in easy street and good times had many flaws. And Satan knew those flaws were there. He knew that Job had not yet risen to gold standard. Thus, despite his gold status. Do you understand? See, because God can give you new skin. That's not his issue. Because skin is only for the earth. See, skin is for the earth. From the earth you were taken and to the dust you'll return. So God is not going to get all caught up because you're cute. Like, you know, I, I look at, when you look at folk and they, they really think they're cute, transcends this world. I'm like, cute won't transcend 25 years, baby girl. Honey, honey boy, in 25 years, you will, you, people will start put, giving you the tag on. You look cute for your age. 
Boy, you hardly aged. Hardly? Hardly. Does that mean I aged? I did it. So God will always act for his purposes, and his purposes start in the spirit, end in the flesh. And so Job was that. So he will do that. God will also act for his, uh, his namesake. Like if you're in, like he said to, uh, to the Roman church, he said, but my name is blasphemed all day long because of you. So God will act for his namesake. And if you're one of those people that walking around pretending to be his children and pretending to be his, uh, his representative, and yet you are behaving like the world, you're extremely carnal, secular, pick it out, you know, or as it is today, so many of these preachers are pagan, so many of them are cultic, that God, God's like, I don't need that. He's like, I, I really don't need it. And so then you move into purpose. You move into divine will or sovereignty. And in this case, supreme sovereignty, where you can pray and hear the limits, the parameters, make sure they don't die, keep them, you know, keep a roof over their head, maybe. Look at the vagabonds or the homeless. We can't call them that any longer. All right? Uh, but but keep him alive because I have a purpose, and my purpose shall stand. And he said that. My purpose will stand. So he will do that. God will also act if he knows you have undertaken it and you've done your very best and you are for him and he has checked you out. Psalm 25 says that God, while we're asleep in the night seasons, he is surveilling our hearts to see what we believe and what we say and whatever, which is why we have Hebrews 4, 12. And then lastly, God will act when he has given you an assignment to take on his adversaries. Now, that is a whole different uh, profile of tools. You have different power tools because your parameters are different. When, we talk, when I did the teaching on the apocalyptic elect, that's what that was about. When we were talking about that now, God is bringing you into, into his supreme service, his sovereign service, his divine service, his spiritual service. If you notice, I'm telling you there's a hierarchy. I know we don't like that. And it's in that case. So now when God has a purpose, God's purpose, you have that passage? Thank you. It's Second Kings. Uh-huh. Okay. So I want to go there because I want to read it. And I want to read it because we're coming up on this. I've been telling saints, God says that um, we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves because he's sending us out to the wolves. That's what he said. Okay. Second Kings. Where's the Kings? Come on, guys. Okay. Second Kings 20 what? 2 Kings 3, 26 and 27. Now, this, we often think about Moab rebels against Israel, and I think I had the wrong name, but this is the king of Moab, so wherever, wherever you hear this in the future, just make that edit change um, because I want to get it right. But in 2 Kings 3, 1, now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. So, um, now Ahab's offspring is inside, and he brought evil. Now, see, we don't read this. You don't hear sermons when they say, well, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. 
for he put away the images of Baal that his father had made, means that he got rid of those what we would call pornographic uh, devotions, orgyism and all of that. Um, nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sons of Jeho- uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel sin. And you, if you want to understand how we got here, study Jeroboam, if you want to understand. Because, see, a lot of people don't want to understand because we want to say that the Old Testament is gone. Well, if it is, guess what? You're not getting to heaven because it talks about all of that. All right? And so now, and, and it's, uh, I used to say Assyria, but it's wrong. It's the king of Moab. Second Kings 3, 4, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and 100,000 rams. In other words, that was his tribute or his tax or his, his duty. And it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. When the old is gone, when the, the establisher of the stronghold is gone, you can rest assured folks will turn on their successors because all successors have to prove they should be the one they should have succeeded. So here Ahab's gone, and Ahab, because remember Ahab had Jezebel. And Jezebel had like hundreds and hundreds of spiritual ministrants, prophets, and communicants. So, and then, and he went and he sent to Jehoshaphat, okay, so you could look at this successor. The first thing he's doing is going to get help. He went to Jehoshaphat, and he's going to get some help. Can we go up? And he said, which way should we go? And so they went, and they kind of teamed up so that they can do it. But let's get down to the end. Now, uh, and she said it was 21, 26. Is it that long? Sure enough. Okay. I want to hear this. And, and so Israel, basically, they were, you know, filling they were winning the war. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He would, now listen to this. 318. 318. I want you to hear this. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Think about it. I am going to give you this win. And he shall smite every fence city. Excuse me. And you shall smite every fence city every choice city, and shall fell every good tree and stop all the wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stone. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was, uh, was offered that, behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. And, and when all the Moabites heard that the kings would come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood at the border. And they rose early in the morning, and the sun shone upon water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, now listen, you know God is doing cinematography. Come on here. Yeah, man. Okay. And they said, this is blood. The kings are surely slain, and they have smitten one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the the spoil. And when they had come into the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled from them. But they went forward, smiting the Moabites even into their own country. And they beat down the cities and on every good piece of land cast every man his stone and filled it. And they stopped all the wells of water and filled all the good trees. Only Kerhareseth left the stones thereof, howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. And when the king, this is the point I want you to get, and when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore 
or too heated for him, he took with him 700 men and came and drew swords to break through even to unto the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel, and they departed from him in his own land. So let me just read what Israel felt. And when the king of, this is the Bible in basic English, and when the king of Moab saw that the fight was going against him, he took with him 700 armed men and swords with the idea of forcing a way through to the king of Aram, but they were not able to do so. Then he took his eldest son, who would have been king after him, offering him as a burnt offering on the wall, so there was great wrath against Israel, and they went away from him back to their country. Now, you can read this in different um, different, because I got them all. But the fact of the matter is, they stopped fighting and they had to win. We hear often people, soldiers, and military folks say that, that when they have to go to war and fight and kill, it's for country. And when they don't, then it's for God. But understand, God's been warring since let there be, and He's been warring since. Revelation 12 and Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. We don't know God because we have the, the literally paganized downgrade of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God is love. He doesn't war. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at my, even the New Testament, I see, I see battles. I see skirmishes. But Jesus said he did not come to do away with the law. He did not come to do away with the Old Testament. How do I know that? Because he prophesied and he taught and he named them. He named Jeremiah. He named Ezekiel. He named Elijah. He named Moses. He named Abraham. He named Hosea. He named the Zephaniah. And if he didn't name them, he pulled forward their words. So guess what? That whole idea that the Old Testament is invalid is wrong. Is wrong because the Old Testament was for one nation. The New Testament, all nations. So God brought the fullness of the Old Testament forward in under the apostles. Do you understand? You have to recognize that this that Satan is a neutralizer and he's a nullifier. He's always going to neutralize our power. He's always going to nullify our strength. He's always going to try and get us to bow to him. And we have bowed. We have bowed as a country. We have bowed as a, as a, 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 a generation and as the planet. We have bowed. What is that? How do you bow? Because we wave the white flag. Because we were taught that God didn't war. We totally misunderstood the two passages that they used against us. The first one being the, uh, James and John, the sons of thunder. We have totally misunderstood that. And so we said, well, Lord, should we rain down fire on them? And he said, you should not, you not, not, you do not know the spirit you are. He's saying you are the new covenant in my blood. And I came not to destroy, but to save. Why? Because 
Jesus came to shut down, or let's, let's say it better than this, more so you understand it, to retrieve the keys of hell and death. So he wasn't trying to add to Satan's population. He was telling them, we are under, first of all, the prophet's era is over under the Mosaic law. So that was not and is not how we handle things going forward. That's the first thing. Because they were asking him, could they rain down fire like the prophet Elijah did? And Elisha, considering he did twice as many. So they were, they were thinking, they're being trained to be apostles, but they want to continue the legacy of the prophets under a, the Mosaic era that was closing out. Now, if that wasn't the case, then tell me this. What, how do we explain Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? How do we explain that? So under the, Jesus came to close out the Mosaic era, the Mosaic covenant. And so he's saying, no, no, I don't need you to kill them because they're part of what must come over. Not that he's not going to do that anymore, ever. So certainly he has to with the nations. He's going to the nations with most of the nations having their own, not only pet deities, but their paternal or patronic deities. So he's got to do something. And so... He still, that's the first one they said. Well, you know, well, you know God said you, you cannot do that. How do you explain all of the times he was turning people over to Satan? And then the other one they used is Peter's ear. The Peter uh, cutting off the servant's ear. And again, same thing. See, this has that. First of all, Pete, Jesus and Pete. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Jesus and Peter, they were like going at it all the time. Peter kept telling Jesus how it was going to go. So you're going to come and you're going to destroy the Romans. No, Peter, I am not destroying the Romans. You're going to have to go through with the Roman Empire a lot more. Okay. Well, okay, so I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm going to die. The Son of Man is going to die, and you know, and he's going to, you know, be in the heart of the earth, as was said, like Jonah and whatever. Uh, Pete, gonna help Jesus out. Not you. No, not you, Jesus. No, no, no. Now it's in the Word. Throughout all the prophets have taught it. Peter and, and, and Andrew, his brother and whatnot, they were with John the Baptist. How are you gonna tell the Messiah he's not gonna do the Masonic commission that he was given or the Messianic commission? He's got. He's the Messiah. He's gonna do it. So he turned around and Jesus was like, "I'm just tired of the Pete." He didn't say, Peter, stop, Peter, shut up. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, because he knew Peter was a ready vessel because Peter's heart was filled with his agenda that he wanted Jesus Christ to carry out. He couldn't stop wanting Jesus to fulfill his understanding of why Jesus incarnated. After all, you walk on water. After all, you bring people back from the dead. You feed thousands and thousands of people out of your spirit, out of your gut. 
you multiply this, you make blind eyes see. I mean, how, how hard can it be for you to destroy the Roman Empire? I mean, come on, you're Jesus. And Jesus later on lets us know if that was his mission, he would have done it. Because standing before Pontius Pilate, he says as much. I could bring 12 legions. I don't even know if I want to know 12 destroying it. See, these, these, we, we, come on, baby. Honey, this man talk about 12 legions. I mean, and, and wait a minute, 12 legion of angels, and they kind of average is about 1,000, anywhere from 5,000, whatever it depends. But it only took one angel to, I was like, Jesus? And he says, so if I feel like it, I can unleash. I want you to know I've got my angels on stand down, okay? They would, they're all standing by, but I've got to tell them to stand down because I'm their maker, I'm their messiah, I'm their king, and they're not liking this at all. But they obey me because I wouldn't have any standing by who would break out and break my commission, who would violate my way. So I want you to understand, can you imagine, though, you know, we think about Elisha telling his servant that there's more with us than they're against us. And then we, can you imagine Jesus is standing there and they're looking at him getting beaten to a bloody pulp. They're looking at him with being striped. They're looking at him being mocked and scorned, punched all night long, and they can't do a thing when they can stop it with a blink. But Jesus is power to power. Pilate said, do you not know I have power to take your life or to keep it and let you? He said, no, no. Son, don't get it twisted, babe. Do not get it twisted. And if he, I, I believe that if Jesus had opened Pilate's eyes to see all the hosts that were standing around, now they had to do two things. They had to stand around because they were already sent into the planet when he was born. Remember, he was born and they, they opened the heavens, peace on earth, goodwill to men. So they were already there, and any time God has a high officer, you can bet that there is an, and I talk about it in my book, that there is an angelic guard and an angelic entourage that exists, follows them everywhere to take care of everything they have to do. He always does it. God knows good and well that we are but flesh, and baby, we, sometimes we can be crummy flesh. So he's not leaving all of this on us as humans. We, and that's what, what secular and humanist religions do. They make you think that everything that you do on the earth is all about you, and you are in charge, and, it's, uh, and nobody can stop you, and it's up to your will, and it's up to your power. And meanwhile, God's got these angels saying, okay, can't, he can me fall off the bike, catch him, come on, catch, catch, catch. Oh, good. All right, got it. Good, because I didn't need him to break his neck this time, because I got something to do in three months, and I need him to be around on the planet and mobile, and mobile. So they're standing there. Just get a vision of that because we, we teach the cross, and we do a really, you know, okay job with it. I haven't seen too many cross, but you know the passion of the Christ. I did like him. I would like to tell him a couple of things I would put in the second sequel. So, you know, he hasn't written me yet, but as soon as he does. <laughs> as soon as he does, I'm going to tell him, baby, you want to give that thing punch. We need to have the overlay of the backstory, because all those angels are standing around, and they can't, that's why he said, I can call, call tra- they don't have to do intergalactic, interstellar, nothing, they are on the ground, 
and they'd been there, seeing to it that Jesus was not killed, not destroyed, not abused until it was time for his blood to shed. See, y'all, I just said something powerful. See, all the while he was on the planet, they couldn't touch him because his blood would have shed. And he was supposed to shed blood on that cross. He was supposed to shed blood at the hands of wicked government. Not, at, not because of the gangs and the thugs in the areas, not because of the, the, uh, you know, the, the activists and the, and the warriors and all of those kind of things. He said, no, no, I can only bleed on this night. I cannot bleed before this night. So you guys have got to understand, I'm not doing this. So the angels are standing there, and this is amazing. The angels are standing there, and they are, Jesus is like, stand down. I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm so glad I wasn't one of those angels, because I would be, Ooh. But, but And they've got mixed feelings. They know that this is going to bring an ultimate end to a long-standing conflict and situation. But by the same token, they have to watch their creator die as a redeemer. Third thing they're doing there is they have to make sure that Satan goes, that, 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 that Satan and his demons are goaded to take the things all the way. Because there was a couple of times Pilate wanted to, to just back off. Wasn't there? There were a couple of times Pilate was like, well, uh, and his wife had already had the dream to have nothing to do with that just man. Of course he would marry a wife that's a prophet and a dreamer. Um, I, <laughs> so the, all of these dynamics are happening for God's purpose. And when God has a purpose, the unfortunate thing about the church today is they think all God's purpose is for everybody's individual and presumptuous advantage and benefit. So I need you and I to understand how this is going to move out as we go forward in God. So we've laid this out. This is what Jesus had to do. And he rose from the dead. He had to go to hell. I've heard preachers preach, Jesus, if he, he didn't have to go to hell. Yes, he did. Because if, if he did not have to go to hell, you wouldn't be able to stand in that pulpit in error. An error. And so as we go forward in understanding how God does things, God does everything according to his word. The prophets told us how it was going to happen. Jesus came as the great prophet. He came as a prophet. We, we, you don't hear a lot of traditionalists and theologians tell us that, but Jesus came as a prophet. He came as the voice of the prophets. He came as the author of the prophets. He came as the creator of the prophets. He came as a prophet. But even as he finished his task, we find out that the 12 are upgraded, you know, with one replacement. And that Jesus Christ is upgraded to an apostle because he's finished the prophet's words. Is that powerful? Because he fulfilled it. He said he fulfilled everything they said, and he said it on the cross. He said, it is finished. All has been fulfilled. Everything that the prophets have spoken have been fulfilled. You cannot be a prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ and be ignorant to that. 
You cannot be. Now, you can be a fake prophet of devils. And fake prophets of devils always want to add to Jesus. They always want to tell you that they've got some secret visitation from Jesus. But actually, Jesus and Satan are relatives. They always want to throw all this kind of ungodly pagan trash at you. Because that's not a prophet of Jesus Christ. Because most prophets, if you're a prophet of Lord Jesus Christ, you're very jealous for him. You are jealous for him. You want him, you don't want him to share. He said, my glory, I will not give to another. You don't want him to share the glory. You don't. You don't want anything to eclipse the glory of God. That is where we missed it. We started giving credence to everything. And because we started giving credence to everything, we moved from giving it credence to giving it position to giving it an authority to giving it dominion. When we first started saying, well, there's some merit to that. No, there's no, no. There is none. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm the absolute worst person to think you're going to turn. I'm not. Mm-mm. No, I'm not. And I have been tried a lot. And I'm not. And you know why I'm not? Because I'm not dealing with an icon. I'm not dealing with literature, spiritual literature, history, historical literature. I'm not dealing with y'all all right. I'm not dealing with that. I'm like Paul and like every apostle, I am dealing with the man, Christ Jesus. So I'm not, I don't, you know, the people walking around, you know, how do you know he's alive? How do you know he isn't? You got saints talking about, I don't know if he's alive. And you don't know that he isn't. And life to me is based on positive, not negative, negatives or speculative. So how do you know he isn't? Well, I just don't happen to think that he's alive. Well, he's all right. You don't have to worry about it because he's not going to prove it to you unless you're important to what he wants to get done. That's why we have so many people walking around talking about, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, as if that's going to stop anything. They do. And so I'm going to show you, you know, this is our favorite book. Isn't that a nice book? It's telling, and, and this is truly the essence and the substance of the Bible. People think it's just, you know, the Old and New Testament, but that's not just it. The Bible is the total encapsulation or encompasses everything God and creation, everything God and creation. So if you look down there, and I, and I designed it this way so that we'd stop looking at it as just a wonderful devotional book that I like to read when life gets hard or a wonderful devotional book that I read when I have a little insomnia. <laughs> I need to go. I'm read the Bible so I can get a nap. I'm read the Bible so I can get a good night's sleep. That is not why he did it. But if you look at it, the Bible, all the things you see, incidents, situations, the potencies of God, cases. These are, these are cases. But these are God cases. These are not what you think is just a wonderful story, historical. Satan downgraded them to historical stories. But these are cases that came up to heaven, that came up to the Lord, that he himself had to adjudicate, that he had to judge, he had to resolve. So when you look at that, and it contains all of this, if you were going to have a, uh, a Bible study, just this particular 
image alone would give you all you needed just to teach people the Bible. It's our faith canon. We have events and causes and consequences. Isn't that powerful? Doctrine, codes, directives, ordinances. And then we look at this, guiding principles, messengers and messages. We've got the figures. We've got the characters of the Bible. We've got incidents. We have stipulations. We've got government. We have laws. We have lawlessness defined. You know, the church wants to have only positive, but God, uh, every positive, flip it, is a negative. So we have that. We have coaching, statutes, prophets, and prophecy, rules, and rules. All of this. All of this is the kingdom of God. And that, you know, and when we think about the, the, the um, rulers and rules, that's your prophets, your apostles, that is your priests and your kings, that's your judgment, that is your, all of that is here, the sovereigns and the sovereignties of God and all of that. That's the Bible. Isn't that interesting? And you have got to recognize that, you can't extract what is Old Testament and New Testament from these statements because they are all functional operatives. They are enactments. They are legislations. They are education. So when people want to talk to me and we want to talk about Bible and whatever, I, as a matter of fact, I might even print this out and make it a nice little card. Wouldn't that be nice? When we want to talk about Bible, here's a nice little flashcard. So which part are we talking about? Are we talking priests and priests regime? Are we talking government strategies? Are we talking ministers and ministries? What are we talking about? I don't want to answer you wrong. Prophets and prophecy, is that what we're going to talk about? The law of God and, 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 as opposed to his canon? What are we talking about? So I think I'm going to do that. I like this little thing. And it works for me. And then we have the powers of God. She said we do too. <laughs> the powers of God. This might be a nice pull-up. You know, the little pull-up things we have. Don't I have some of them? I, I don't have. Huh? You know what I'm talking Yeah, the pop-ups, what I call it. Okay. 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 But you know what I mean. Okay. So when you look at this, like when we do apostolic prophetic Bible, education, that class, this is what it's all based on. We have the everything that pertains to this. I mean, you're talking about the controls and controllers. This is a phenomenal thing if you're saying, I want to test people on Bible knowledge. Can you separate a strategy from just a ministry? Can you separate a strategy from a statute? Can you identify what God calls an imperative? Do you know what he, why he has offices and officials. What's a regime? What are, what's God's procedures for what you're talking about? How about what kind of statements support what you say? See, I'm, I'm telling you, I sat down. When I did this, I thought, you know, God, we need that because people have a misconception of the Holy Bible. Now, that is why this will tell you the problem with all of those paraphrased Bibles. And then those, those kind of, the, you know, the little running so, you know, what do you call them, synonyms for one word. You're never going to get through a Bible that's going to give you ten synonyms for every word or key statement. So this is our theology, and so this is our Bible, and I think that having them, because, you know, we haven't put up our banners. 
which we're going to put on the walls, our banners. Remember our banners? Yes, we're going to put up our banners. We're going to put on the hallway walls, you know, because that works. And so, um, but this is going to go with that because you need to understand what, what God is doing. And you need to be able to ask people the right questions, you know, because God does it. Now, how does God get it done? I mean, what does he do? Come on, Jesus, how are you doing this? I mean, you're dead, right? Well, if you're not dead, you're gone, right? Okay, so you're really not dead or gone? So how was Jesus not gone? The Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have yet to break the seal on the Holy Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit. We pretty much know those. Then we taught them up the front and down the back. And then we have the fruit of the Spirit. We have that, don't we? I'm praying we still have it because, you know, the saints, we, you know, they let, they let go of things sometimes. Okay? But cause I want you to know what that how God gets a thing done is by his Holy Spirit. He said, by the Spirit. And we have got to begin to teach people what that looks like because they don't know. Okay? So I have keyed in here for us to just examine, since we have that wonderful book up there. Oh, no. I made a, I made a crazy mistake. I will not do that again. Okay, so when you look at, in, in Scripture, I'm looking at this 35 times God talked about what is of the Spirit. Now, that's just of the Spirit, 35 times. You can key it in your, your list, and it takes about God puts his Spirit upon people. What does that mean? When we do our Holy Spirit class, that's where we're going to go. What does it mean for God to put his Spirit upon us? He said, I put my Spirit upon you, and then this one in Numbers eleven seventeen, he said, and they will bear the burden of the people. So God puts his spirit on the leaders for us to bear the burden of those we lead. So the whole idea of, well, I'm sorry, I don't have time, and I'm, I, that's not me, then you need to step out because God gave you a special grace to bear the burden of his people. And so, and also to pass on the grace the power and the grace for God's anointing and for God's uh, appointment of other leaders. That's why it's wonderful to watch online. I'm all day long if that's all you can do. But all of the things that you need, those impartations, they don't come just by uh, television and osmosis. They've got, the Holy Spirit will do it when there's no human agent to get it done. He will never, ever upstage a human agent, a human leader, if that human leader is in his service and in good stead with him. Because God wants us to know that the Holy Spirit is our paracletos. He's a partner. He's a co-laborer. He is not a dictator. And when he has to go dictatorial, you better understand it's bad. Now, he can and he will, but you better know he's bad. Now, I'm not one of those that teach you that nonsense about God being a gentleman and he won't do that because the Holy Spirit took out too many people. I'm sorry, I don't know what, what, what he did with his gentleman standards, but he took out too many people. And then the Holy Spirit gives you, he, he literally upgrades your faculties. For example, 
in uh, Deuteronomy 34 now, 9, he gives you the spirit of wisdom. And look at that. This is Joshua, Deuteronomy 34, 9, and Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Impartational. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So when Moses got ready to leave, he took the mantle that was on him, because we haven't even broke the seal on mantles, but he took of the spirit that God put on Moses. He now has to transfer it. And so now the Holy Spirit helps to transfer. So in the beginning he transmits, but then he helps to transfer. So he began to transfer. So all y'all staying home watching TV or you going to those churches that don't believe in laying hands, understand that you're not going to get the fullness of the Spirit, and it's God does everything by his Spirit. He starts everything with the prophet, and the Holy Spirit is how prophets become authorized and inaugurated. Well, I'm sorry. I just don't. But that's fine. But don't come. And, and then you want to come once a year and get your hands laid on for a ministry that you're not going to do or one that you are not built to execute. I'm just saying. And then there's the spirit of marriage. You can shack for 55 years, but God himself gives the spirit of marriage. I'm just saying. And then the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? Because Jesus was not here. He kept saying, I'm not alone. He kept telling us, I'm not, the Father has not left me alone. But Jesus has this innumerable host of angels, and then he's got the Holy Spirit who's taking charge of his ministry. Why is the Holy Spirit taking charge? Because he's been downgraded from the God realm. To the Son of Man. So the Holy Spirit is letting us know that he takes care of all of those in God's service. All right? And so that, but the Holy Spirit also then gives Jesus power. If Jesus is God, that's why he kept saying, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Son of Man. He couldn't claim God's status because he laid that aside to incarnate to get on the cross. Honey, man. That's honey man worthy, isn't it? And so what happens? He comes back from his wilderness trial, and it said he comes back in the power of the Spirit, which means all the while he was growing up, he didn't have it. Even though he came as the seed of God. He had about as much power as perhaps Adam had. Because the power of your nativity is not sufficient for ministry. All right? And then he goes and tells you the Holy Spirit is comes and he is what? He's the womb of the new birth. He's the birth mother. And he's the, he is the one that, that connects your eternal self that was in Jesus Christ when he was God, as God in the heaven. He connects that with your mortal being. He then helps your new birth. And then they said the Spirit speaks. John seven thirty nine, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So the only carrier of the Holy Ghost then is Jesus. 
prior to Jesus, it was John the Baptist. But God moved us because he was competition and conflict. Now, the spirit actually distributes but also archives and legislates God's law. And we'll talk about that. So Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. So you can't get out of the law of sin and death and just hang out in creation as a free agent. That doesn't happen. God is very possessive, and devils are very aggressive. And devils are not going to let you float around as a free spirit. They may lie to you, make you think that, but they are not letting you do it because even they are scrapping for their portion and their share. So when you hear them say, yeah, well, you know, I, I asked to project it here and I did that. No, they didn't. A devil took them, and the devil got to bring them back. And if we stop the devil, they don't get back. That's how much power we have. And then it said, and then there's a difference between what, the, what, what you set your mind on. Romans 8, 5, for they that are after the flesh do not mind the, uh, do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. You listen to saints today, you know that they're in the flesh realm, and they love being in flesh mode. You can't even say God around them. If you say Jesus one more time, baby, get out of my presence because that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling you I am now, I've crossed over to the senior citizen realm. <laughs> I crossed over where we get set in our ways. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. And then the spirit is how we are adopted from Satan, put back in Jesus. It is an adoption because it's putting our souls in as well as our spirit. See, God owns our new creation spirit, but our soul must be renewed day by day, and it has to be saved. So we are adopted. In other words, God went through all the legitimate things that would enable him to adopt a soul that he forced Satan to abandon. Then I do. Okay, just want you to understand. And then Romans fifteen nineteen that through mighty signs and wonders by the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elicrium, I guess I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. When God puts you in his service, signs and wonders follow. And if you're an apostle, they are mighty. And so the, the full potency of that new creation spirit that has been, that has by now, by the time he uses you, has washed your soul, become available to you at your disposal. See, these are the things that we stop teaching so people stop believing and they stop hoping and they stop reaching and they stop praying because they're like, well, maybe this is wrong. Well, maybe God went home. God can't go home. And if God went home, the church goes home. So the church goes home in the Holy Ghost. Yes. They don't just go home because they all decide to let's get on Mount get out of here. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is how you love others. But there is something in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 that talks about the Spirit demonstrating 
the power of God. So what I teach is demonstrated in your conversion, in your development, in your maturity, or it's demonstrated in your rejection and renouncement and your inability to change. Either way, there's a demonstration. So you have these people that can't change, they can't change. It may take them five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30, it doesn't matter. But either way, my mantle is demonstrated because what happened, the son of perdition was never cheated. Jesus did not cheat him at all. He gave him everything. He was able to, to cast out his relatives. He was able to have communion. He traveled with them. He sat in the classes, and none of it touched him. He never changed. He never let go of his ego. He never let go of his envy. He never let go of his thievery. He never let go of his betrayal. He, he met Jesus like that. He went through everything Jesus had to teach and everything Jesus would say. He went through it all without um, restriction except when Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration. But for the most part, he was the 12. That's why when people look at the 12, when they start saying, well, you, you know, you can't be in a positive day because, I mean, after all, the, you know, uh, Jesus is not, is, you know, you didn't see Jesus. I was like, that devil saw Jesus. That's why and Jesus had to train Judas to betray him because the other 11 loved him. And they loved him too much to cheat him, and they loved him too much to betray him. So he had to throw a devil in the midst. So don't be surprised if we have to have a couple of devils in the midst to carry out the fullness of the plan, as long as you recognize. See, they all knew that he was a thief. They knew he was a chief. They knew he was a chief. They knew he was a liar. And they knew he was, they wrote about it because they knew him. He said, because Judas chose to reject everything God did. If Jesus... Jesus baptized, they all got baptized, the water did nothing on Judas. That's all. He got wet, had a little suntan. So we have the demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. You have to understand it because you're not being taught that. You know, we, that's not what we hear. And then we have here that there are many things of the Spirit, which we talked about, the things of the Spirit. We need to know what the things of the Spirit are. And the things of the Spirit, you know, when, when I researched the origin of things, the, the original meaning of the origin of things was the property of a sovereign or the property of a monarch. Because they were the only one that owned everything. Every, and they were the only one that can distribute things um, of, of rich value. And then we have 1 Corinthians twelve seventeen. Then we have the manifestation of the Spirit, which is distinct from the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. So we need to figure out what that is. And then sincerity. The spirit is our sealer. He seals us. What is that seal? It's not just a mark on our forehead. That's the best Satan could do. But the spirit embodies us in a sealant that prevents us from being destroyed as long as we stay in Christ. So, it, so what is the seal? The seal is that we are in his flesh. We're sealed for the day of redemption. So we think seal is just a stamp. So Satan walks around and, he, you know, like he's going to give the, in the last days, he's going to give them a stamp. Jesus didn't just stamp us. He engraved us. 
and then he embedded himself in us and then us in him. So think about when you go to the store and you try to get your favorite little something, you can't get it out because they sealed it too good. You try to get, you, I, I need to get this because my car tire is flat now. I can't get in here. I don't have scissors, and this pack is so, I can't get in. Think shrink wrap. Not just bubble wrap. Think shrink wrap where the more heat it, 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 it has, the tighter it grips. So he, the Holy Spirit is how we're sealed until the day of redemption. All right? And then he talks to us about um, the, the Lord establishes and equips us as ministers of the New Testament. And he said, not, not like this, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now, there's a, that's where we get all mixed up because we get it in our minds. I, first of all, it takes a great deal of insight to understand how all the letters that we're supposed to read from the scriptures are not useful. So that was a hard, I mean, this is a hard one to crack, isn't it? And so it says, we're not of the letter, but of the spirit. And so when you think about it, for the letter kills. So what are we talking about? What letters are we talking about? And so when we look at it, The word for letter there is a writing, that is a letter, note, epistle, book, plural. But would God really cancel himself out like that? Read your Bible, learn the word, follow the scriptures, but not the letters. They make up the words. Is that the dumbest thing we ever heard? So we have to understand what is Paul talking about. Paul is talking about that, that cursory reading. That scanning reading, that reading where you just, just give me the bottom line. The bottom line people are not going to think about what God meant. So they're not going to, he's saying not of the letter, meaning go beyond the letter to substance, to motivation, to what the author had in mind. In other words, don't be scripture quoters. Because quoters stop at the surface. They stop at the letter. But interpreters, definers, they go all the way to substance. And being an author, I understand a lot of you all, you get upset because we don't give you A's on those papers that you just know are so good. And you know why we don't give you A's? Because you're just giving us back, you're regurgitating, giving us back what we said. That's all. You just regurgitate. So you wrote this wonderful paper, and we were talking to you about, you know, maybe we're talking about the prophetic, and, you know, you know, because the prophetic began with God. And so but that's why we have the prophetic, because God began it, okay? So <laughs> the reason the prophetic is with God is because he began it. And what makes it prophecy is because it's God, and it began with him. So you've given us the same thing six different ways, and you want an A. Because you didn't want to take time to break the seal on the revelation, to break the seal on the letter, the written letter. So he's saying that if you're going to do this, I love this, ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, 
and, and we understand it's the letter of the law, but Paul turned around and said, but the law is good and holy and pure and meant to give life. All of these contradictions must be addressed because it's not as contradictory as we think when we take it out of the mind of man and we take it off the earth and we send it up to heaven like you do your little deposit at the drive-in ATM and let us send back what's really there. They send back the quality. So when you hear about the letter, he's really telling us that I, I, ministers of the New Testament, and I always love that, but ministers of the New Testament, meaning not the old law, but yet we use the law. You understand that the people who are, writing, are, are, are fighting the Bible, they have some really valid questions. So he's saying not of the letter, which is, of course, not, and it's really interesting because it's a writing, note, epistle, book, Plural learning. It means build, learning, letter, scripture, right? So not of the scripture, would God really say that? Would he really tell you to read the Bible and don't read it? Well, read it, but don't read it by the letters. And how do you, what are you supposed to have somebody read it to you? Is it sound? Do we need to make recordings of it all the time? What is he talking about? He's talking about the regimentation that people have. The quoters. You'll notice that we went through a whole era where folks quoted scriptures they didn't understand. And it didn't fit. It, they, they, it didn't fit. So he's telling them that he's bringing in the New Testament. So why is that a big deal? Because heretofore, the, the Jews have always followed Paul and always told them that they needed to learn the law of Moses. He had that as a problem. He's going to Gentiles now. And he's bringing Gentiles their priority is the New Testament. Israel's priority was the Old Testament because it's all they had. The, the new hadn't happened. So he's telling you, this is, we are ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter. In other words, remember now, not of the letters, only the New Testament. Think about it. New Testament wasn't in the Old. We've gotten the New Testament how? By letters and by epistles, etc. So there's something else that he wants us to get out of there, mostly the fact that they, the New Testament has the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament was written by the Spirit or was given by the Spirit. And Hebrews said by angels, not apostles only. So the angels talk to the prophets of old, but the Holy Spirit is talking to us. Does this help you a little bit? So you have to understand in context, what is Paul doing? And so he's going on and he begins to explain it a little bit in the next verse, but if the ministration of death, because that law was to bring them to a sense of reality of death. And if you, you know, I got a better sense of this when I was reading a primordial Enoch and realized that, the, that all of those fallen angels actually made death life. And because, so, so he's saying everything about the law was to let them know this is death and this is life. If you do this, you live longer. If you do this, you get more money, you get prosperity, on and on. And so he said written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory 
Okay, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with? How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed that glory. I was like, gee, I, I, that, that's, I don't even know what you just said. I know it's, it's good, but you are going to explain that, right? So here's what he's telling us, that anything, because God is power and God is pure energy as well as all of the other elements that we have, Anytime God shows up, power comes with it. Light comes with it. And every word of God is full of power. And so when God speaks, power is released. Right? But in this instance, he's telling us he got the Ten Commandments. God wrote them. And I'm assuming that he said them. But they were all meant to show humans that his life and their lifestyle were contradictory to one another. So Moses, because of what he got, he comes down and he's glorified. Why is he glorified? Because he's been 40 days on a mountain with the Almighty, who is light. I mean, the mountain is lit. He's got this flame of fire. We, We don't even need a power grid. We don't need anything. He's lit up their entire camp. So God is... He's come and he's with power. And so he's saying that the, the law that God gave, and, and the psalmist called it a fiery law, that means that God wrote that thing with fire. His stylus was fire, an engraving stylus with fire. And so he wrote that law with his finger. And it was fire because he's God. So God, you know, even now God touches you, be like, oh, Jesus. Okay. And so he's saying to them, this law was written on the side of a mountain by the finger of God. And God does a couple of things. We see the finger of God showing up again when Jesus is on the planet. But it was written by the finger of God. But Moses was there with all, these people don't know light the way we can say it now. You know, they don't know the, the whole thing. He's there, and God is there. Moses is with God, and it's nothing but light and life. Because God is not just illuminance uh, or luminescent. God is power. If, he, if his light comes near you, stuff is going to happen. You get in his light, you are going to be, I mean, he's going to heal your stuff. You're going to get changed. So Moses was totally renovated in the presence of the Almighty. Because nothing shielded Moses from the, the Lord. And, and, and ironically, it was the fullness of the Godhead, so Jesus was there. So now, so he's saying Moses came down with this, that, that, that God, first God carved it and then wrote on it. And Moses comes down with the, the t- tablets and everything else that God wants him to do is not in those tablets. It's in him. It's in him. And same thing he does today with his ministers. He puts it in them by measure, whatever the measure is. So when he said, when he's saying now, today, we don't have to climb a mountain. It's not exclusive to one person who's approved. The Holy Ghost is here for everybody. 
and when he puts his spirit in us, there he was confined to the mountain, but now he's in us. I will walk in them, and I will talk in them. I will write my laws in their minds and in their hearts, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. Then only Moses. Are you all catching what I'm saying? Only Moses had the fullness of God written in him, totally renovated, spirit, soul, and body. What did he say about his body? He died 120. He's still able to climb mountains. We try to climb the steps in this building. Baby, I'm trying to get the steps downstairs. Does anybody know what I'm saying? And this man is climbing mountains twice, three times if we count the time he climbed to die. We, we count. <laughs> we count. <laughs> I hope this is helping you. And so when we look at this, then we get down to um, Galatians 5.18, led by the Spirit. That's a whole class that we have not had, but we will be getting into that as the Dunamites and the Dunamite ones, and led by the Spirit. And then the fruit of the Spirit. Well, we all kind of know that one pretty good, don't we? I mean, we've saturated with that. And then we have that, that you can sow things to the Spirit, for the Spirit is life. So you can sow dead seed or see a good seed in the dead ground, or you can sow living seed, like what you all have done that got us here. How do you know what your seed is by, by what it brings forth? Okay? And then... Obviously, the spirit is how we're unified, and that only in peace. We can never be more unified than we are peaceful, and we never can be peaceful without being compulsively unified. And then I like this one, Ephesians 6, the the helmet of salvation, but how about this, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Remember, that sword is tantamount to the finger that carved, etched, the Ten Commandments in that mountain. Okay? And then we're going down, coming to the end. There is a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. When I teach Spirit, I, I, I really teach it because there's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of your Father, the Spirit of the Spirit of Spirit, of, and all of those are needful so that we can we, we understand it. And so then we have the fellowship of the Spirit, which is what we had last night so wonderfully. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And then we are bound to give thanks and sanctification. The Holy Spirit is how we are sanctified. And uh, look at this one, Second Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you. I love this, from the beginning. Mm. From the beginning, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So we were all, again, we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. And lastly, 1 Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, isn't it funny we have this predestination, ongoing predestination argument that enables universities to get tuition on courses? And the thing says flat out, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto or for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Is it me or what? 
Foreknowledge does mean foreknowledge, right? That's what I'm saying. Do we all agree? I said according to the foreknowledge, and I'm looking here and I'm saying, okay, the foreknowledge of God the Father. So, and that's, <laughs> that's prognosis. Prognosis means foreknowledge, just in case you didn't know. And then it says forethought and foreknowledge, okay? Forethought. And then when you go and look at the other parts of it, where it comes from, it means to know beforehand, that is, you know, like this one, to foresee, foreknow, ordain, and know before. So why are we having arguments about predestination? I can't even wrap my head around the ridiculousness of that. The man is Peter, of all people, Pete. Okay. <laughs> Why? You want to say? Predestination is often taught that God cherry picks mm-hmm. who's going to make it and who's not. Yeah. He's you, you, I love you, I hate you, yeah, no. And there's, so nowhere in the explanation is it about him knowing because he's already finished it. So they think that it's present tense cherry picking. Yes. Okay. Yes. And not before the foundation of right. the world. Right. It's selective on his part, and he just arbitrarily this big bad mean God, who is choosing people not based on who they are, not based on their soul, not based on knowing, because of mm-hmm. Alpha and Omega. That's not in that. And where most people have the issues with predestination is that right there missing that piece missing. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I thank you for that because I sure needed that distinction. But can we just go into the word elect, which is eclectos, which comes from, um, what are we looking at here? G, just for your own research, G, 1588. And it comes from 1586. And that says the same thing, foreknowledge. But it says here, select by implication favorite, chosen, and elect. That's a and it's 23 times, and 1586, you know, because I, I want to understand this, not just walk around there and whatever, because to me, even then, it's still a stupid argument, because if God doesn't know everything, then God's not God, and he's not the creator, the founder, and all of that. He can't be, because, I mean, that means that there's a detail about you, he's missing, and we're stuck. But if we look at 1586, it adds to that to make to select, make a choice, and then choose out the chosen. Why? It's based on what? That remember, we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. Yes. He said that. He chose us by his foreknowledge. So that whole argument is for people to feel. Two, th- two ways. One, I'm not, I didn't make the cut. And two, God opted out for me. And none of that is accurate. What it is is Jesus is coming for his own. And that own is billions and billions and trillions of people over the But he's still coming for what was in him for the foundation of the world. And, but he, he did it in this way to let us know just like he chose Judas. See, that's the greatest example. He said, then I choose you 12 and one of y'all is a devil. Mm-hmm. Didn't he say that? Yeah. 
And then he said, you know, the wheat are the children of the kingdom, and the tares are the children of the wicked one. We don't, see, that kind of, so that you don't cherish your salvation. You don't value the fact that God himself is coming to keep his word to you. Now, does that mean you are compulsively saved? No. You still have to endure to the end. God is not the sprinting God. He's the end God, whatever your end is. And if your end is 10, then that's your end. If your end is 100, that is your end. But he said you must endure to the end. I don't know about you all. Did you all enjoy today? So now we're going to stay on this journey of the Holy Spirit for a little bit because we need to get back to how we know that when God says it's over, it's over. When God, when God says it's done, it's done. We understand that now. When you think about all of the angels, Jesus had to stop from helping him out. Now, I'm sure that, that they had emotions. I don't think that they're that different from us in their emotional center because it's all the same God. You know, there are things that God has to restrain himself and on and on and on. But I need you to think differently, and we're going to start doing that because talking about dunamites and not talking about the might of the dunamites is probably a little bit counterproductive. Well, anything you'd like to say? Good, because we gave, we gave you an opportunity. Don't say we didn't. We did not give you an opportunity because we did. It's been great. Share, 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 share. Share again, share again, share, share, share. And then so, 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 and listen to it several times. There's a lot in this. You know, when we do this for, on a Thursday, I kind of anticipate you sitting down, breaking it down all week long and, and, and tearing into it to see what's in it for you. So until Sunday, here at the embassy where the congregation of the mighty and God stand, <laughs> You know, we, yeah, we stand with God. We see you Sunday, 8 o'clock for Sunday school with Assistant Prophet Angela Powers. And then after that, me. Yeah. Yay. God bless you. Have a great weekend. God is good. Are we done? I love you.